This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, what's good? Welcome back to another edition of the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. My name is Blair Angulo. Thank you so much for joining us. On this episode, we will continue our look at the Power 5 conferences, five storylines to track in this 2022 class when it comes to the Pac-12, and we're going to have National Recruiting Editor Brandon Huffman on to discuss some of the big storylines to monitor out West, as well as a basketball offer being thrown out to the number one prospect available still in the 2021 class, JT Tuimoloao. I also want to invite you to head on over to 24-7 Sports. We were scattered across the country this past weekend covering showcases and events. So make sure you check the website for all the latest recruiting buzz from a busy, busy weekend. Speaking of the weekend, nothing was bigger than five-star running back Emmanuel Henderson announcing his decision to commit to the Alabama Crimson Tide, staying in state and giving the Tide another five-star prospect in this 2022 class to go along with quarterback Ty Simpson. Emmanuel Henderson had over a dozen scholarship offers and chose Alabama over the likes of Auburn, Clemson, Georgia, LSU, and others this past Saturday. For more on what Alabama is getting in five-star running back Emmanuel Henderson, let's hear from national recruiting analyst Gabe Brooks. Emmanuel Henderson is obviously a, a great pickup for Alabama. You know, he's proven early in his high school career to be a dominant two-way guy, uh, you know, playing small school school ball there in Alabama. Uh, he's got a really good frame that will, uh, you know, it's a bit high cut, certainly fit a lot more bulk as he, you know, matures and eventually gets in a, a college weight training program, you know, that built suits playing running back long term. But, uh, you know, perhaps he could even move elsewhere if he gets to Alabama and the coaching staff sees something else in him. You know, what would that something else be? Uh, maybe linebacker. You know, he's played, played a, a lot of snaps both ways. He'd have a, a really good profile for an off-ball linebacker, somebody who came up on the offensive side with, you know, extensive snaps at the running back spot. You know, that two-way participation is something uh, we really look for that has been reflected in recent NFL draft results uh, for off-ball linebackers, uh, you know, as far as coming out at the high school level. Having said that, he's shown impressive suddenness and change of direction ability for a, a you know, a taller, longer-framed running back prospect. A really dangerous cutback runner and honestly he's unique in the sense that he's fluid but violent at the same time in his gait and you know his his functional athleticism production has been really great through his first couple years of high school ball you know 3400 plus yards he's averaged about 11 yards a carry in those two seasons uh, and he's shown some some encouraging pass catching ability for a running back to the point you could probably get creative with him as a as a coaching staff as uh, you know maybe using him as a larger all-purpose type because of his football instincts and his ball skills.
Joining us now on the podcast is the 24-7 Sports National Recruiting Editor, Brandon Huffman, who, by the way, did some did some color this weekend. Obviously, high school football is back. Brandon, let's start there. How exciting is it to have high school football back on the West Coast? Oh, it's great. You know, last week I wasn't able to get into the game I wanted to go to because they were at a 200 person maximum. So I watched it from the parking lot of a grocery store across the street. Then last weekend, Thursday night, I was able to go to a game, be indoors. It was weird being in a stadium with the 200 people and the majority of them were players. And then Friday night, I did color for the Bellevue Mount Psy game. Again, I'm used to, you know, being around crowds and those are two crowds that are typically pretty strong and it was a ghost town there. So, hey, it's better than nothing. I think everybody who covered college football can kind of empathize that being around nobody is better than not being able to go to a game at all. It's just weird going to high school football in March. It is. It is really weird. Uh, I was at a scrimmage a couple of weeks ago. And yeah, like you said, it's already hard enough to get on the sidelines at certain high schools. But now it's 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 nearly impossible. You have to go through so many different layers of of uh, security and, and making sure everyone is masked. And, and obviously, it's a it's a good good problem to have right now to have high school football back. Speaking of weird, Huffman, there was a bad basketball offer thrown out recently to the number one prospect in the 2021 class who has yet to sign, has yet to make an announcement, has yet to commit. That would be JT Tuimolowau. It's his second basketball offer. He's going to be a big time football player, but Oregon came in. They they made the top five for JT and, and now he has an offer from the Ducks basketball program. It is I wouldn't call it desperation because I don't think that's a good way to call it. And I don't think Oregon is desperate, but I also think it's a little bit of a play because you and I both know that a football offer trumps everything. And so if you have a football offer, you can play any sport you want. What it is, is Oregon's basketball staff more than just saying, yeah, it's cool if you come play basketball, if you come here, it's them saying, we really like you. Washington was the first one to do it back in May. And of course, you and I have talked uh, on this show and in our previous about the, the banter, we'll call it, between Washington and Oregon fans on Twitter. And it was rather interesting and fun, I would say, to see the way the two fan bases reacted to the news that I tweeted that JT got the basketball offer when there was similar reactions on the opposite sides back last May when Washington made the basketball offer. So it's always good for entertainment between those two fan bases on the Twitter. But what it tells me is that, you know, Oregon is pulling out all the stops to try to get him. And this is still a recruitment that's probably two, three months away from still concluding. So he's still adamant that he's going to take those visits to Ohio State and Alabama. And I don't anticipate them basically going against that. I think there's going to be a very deliberate process still remaining here. But Oregon definitely captured the news this week with the offer on a basketball from a basketball standpoint to JT, one of two schools that JT has an offer from for football and basketball, but also one of two schools in his final five that won their conference in football and in basketball joining Alabama. JT Tuimolowau has has remained adamant that he would be taking his recruitment into the spring and and obviously following through on that. So for all the latest on JT Tuimolowau and his process, make sure you stay locked in over at 24-7 Sports. Follow Brandon at Brandon Huffman. Now, Brandon, the reason why you're on this show is because we're doing a rundown of the Power Five conferences. We've been working our way from East 
to West. And obviously you're you're last, but certainly not least, uh, as we talk about the Pac-12, we're going to highlight five storylines to track in this 2022 class. Let's start at the top with USC. And they didn't finish number one in the Pac-12 recruiting rankings. That would be Oregon. And you know, obviously, they've been throwing out basketball offers left and right, so we, we don't know what's happening there. But USC and their whole mantra has been to take back the West. And that's been a movement that they have shared on social media. That's something that recruits have been echoing whenever we talk to them about the pitch that the Trojans and their coaches are are putting. They're off to a really good start in, in 2022 already with the number one class in the Pac-12. They've got a commitment from local five-star cornerback Damani Jackson, one of the top-rated defensive backs in the country. They've got a, a, a really good core to start and they want to continue that momentum. I think that's going to be a major storyline in 2022 because if USC can be at the top of the Pac-12, I think it pushes the whole conference as a whole to make more noise nationally. Well, and I, I think, you know, you, you look at how the calendar year 2021 has gone for USC and it could not have started any better. Remember a year ago at this time, there was a lot of talk then that they were going in reverse. They were coming off a pretty lackluster 2019 season. Their 2020 recruiting class had a lot of holes in it. And Corey Foreman was committed to Clemson and Ray John Davis was committed to moder- was committed to LSU. Fast forward a year, they get Corey Foreman to announce during the All-American Bowl show. They get Sierra Wright to announce during the All-American Bowl sh- show. And they get Ray John Davis to announce on signing day. That's three top 100 guys right there. And then how does the momentum keep going? Well, it continues into 2022 when Damani Jackson, the number one player in the state of California for 2022, decides in, I think, late January, he too wanted to go to USC. So I think when you look at the momentum that they've built it's certainly what USC fans have become accustomed to in years past, maybe not so much under Clay Hilton, but it again shows the chops that USC has on the recruiting trail. You know, we talked about the Washington and Oregon fan banter on Twitter. This is also setting up for some very entertaining Oregon and USC player personnel assistant coaching banter on the Twitters. They, they have been going back and forth. And and obviously, we have a national show here, and it's a national audience. And it might seem a bit childish uh, in terms of what we see in the SEC or, or how some of the recruiting battles develop or unravel in the Big Ten or the ACC. But I would go I go out in a limb and say that some of these Pac-12 coaches and the, the subtweeting that goes on on social media and, and the jabs that are traded back and forth, I think those rival a lot of the stuff that we we see nationally. I, I know Lane Kiffin, you know, gets a lot of the the, the buzz for for what he tweets out and, and kind of the messages that that he tries to convey. But uh, USC and Oregon have been going back and forth, and that leads us to our next storyline to track in the 2022 class for the Pac-12, and, and that is whether Oregon can finish with the top-rated class in the conference for the fourth straight year. You know, I, I think when you, you look at what Oregon has done over the last four years under Mario Cristobal, and it's something that I think goes back even before this, you know, it was 10 years ago where they landed the number one player in the West 
in consecutive years when they got D'Anthony Thomas in 2011 and they got Eric Armstead in 2012. They've also had a national profile. They've done a great job in the state of Texas in years past. But after a little bit of a blip there under Mark Helfrich and under Willie Taggart, they have come back in full force under Mario Cristobal. And I think that they've showed that the success on the field the last couple of years is that they're more than just a good program when it comes to recruiting. It's they're recruiting at a high level, but then developing and turning that success into wins on the field. And how do you keep the momentum going and recruiting? You keep winning and you keep recruiting on a national scale. You know, last year, I think they had what, maybe seven or eight players that were ranked either number one or number two in their respective states, including, if I remember correctly, four players that were in the top to impact 12 states that they were able to sign. Then you throw in players from New York, players from Nebraska. Then you look at this year. They've got the number one Juco prospect in the country who announced this week. You know, the momentum hasn't tailed off at all. The recruiting has been very successful for them. And because they don't have a super deep talent pool in state, they've had to go big time regionally but also nationally, and they're finding success there. So while they're playing the take back the West game with USC, I'm finding that they're having a lot more success outside the West than USC has. And that's why I think that you're seeing their class finishing ahead of the Trojans these last couple of years. It, it used to be that USC was getting the top rated player in the state of Utah, or, or they were going to Arizona and, and handpicking whoever they wanted or going out to Hawaii. But now it's, it seems like Oregon it not only is offering early and, and first most of the time, but also pushing the hardest. And when recruits mention Mario Cristobal as a head coach and as a recruiter, they always seem to say that he's a, a lead guy in, in, in those conversations. Not something we hear a lot about from, from uh, Clay Helton's standpoint. Uh, it's, you know, he, he does have some relationships, but I feel like Cristobal has more of a reputation as a guy that's making a priority to make sure that he's in the ear of, of all these top recruits. So USC versus Oregon, is going to be a battle to, to monitor here in 2022. We're going to be back to talk more Pac-12 storylines with Brandon Huffman. You are listening to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Before we get back to Brandon Huffman and the Pac-12 recruiting storylines for the 2022 class, make sure to hit that subscribe button. Please review us. Please rate us five stars if you leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts with a recruiting question. You've got a chance to have that question answered on an upcoming mega mailbag episode. Brandon, the third storyline in the 2022 class for the Pac-12 is whether or not any other program can finish in the top 25 nationally in the recruiting rankings. Oregon and USC, we discussed them already. They were the only two Pac-12 schools to finish in the top 25 in this 2021 class that just passed. There were other schools that were hovering in the 30 range, uh, the Utahs, the UCLA's, the Cows, the Washington's. Can any of those make a strong push 
to be in that top 25 group nationally? I think Washington has a chance to, because I think that their in-state crop this year might not be as top heavy as the 2021 class with Sam Heward, Nemeke Ekbuka, and JT2 Molowell, but there's a lot of depth to it. And there's a lot of guys, especially on the offensive line, there's six power five offensive linemen in the state and the Huskies have offered five of them. And I think they're sitting in a good spot for four of them. I think that just based on their in-state offensive line class, they could end up with the top 25 class. They've also continued to recruit out of state well. At one point of their four commitments in the 2022 class, three are from Las Vegas. Now, two of those have since decommitted in Sir Mills and Anthony Jones, but they got the highest rated of that bunch and Jeremy Bernard already on board. So I think that they're still in a good spot where they can recruit California. They'll go into Oregon. They'll go into Arizona. We'll go out to Colorado, but then they'll also have some success in state. I think that they could be a top 25 class. I think UCLA, if they can win, I mean, we saw what happened when they had even a little bit of success last fall, how they closed in the 2021 recruiting class, especially in those last probably 10 days before signing day, they went from being, I think, 68th, 70th at one point to, I want to say 29th when it was all said and done. So I think both those schools could position themselves because of local recruiting. If they can get some momentum going, that could really help. I think Cal was sort of a newcomer last year. They haven't come out of the gates nearly as hot as they were a year ago, but I think Cal's another school that could position themselves there. And I think Utah, I think it's another good year in the state of Utah. And I think Utah has continued to show they're not just going to focus on their in-state kids. They're going to go win some battles out on the West Coast like they did last year for Ethan Calvert, like they did the year before for Clark Phillips. And I think that that's going to continue. So there's three or four schools that I think could have a chance. And, you know, don't sleep entirely on Arizona State either. Arizona State got a great boost to their class with Larry Turner Gooden. They also had Jalen Marshall out of Florida. So I think if Arizona State could ever keep some of those key players in state where every other school in the country and every other conference of the country continues to make a priority, they too could position themselves nicely. That is our fourth storyline, Brandon Huffman. That's a great segue. Uh, you used to be a podcast host, weren't you? I was on this little little <laughs> podcast we called West of the Rest. You might have heard of it. Yeah. Well, those are some co-host vibes right there that you had. The, that was a really good transition to our, our next storyline. It's the question, I guess, or the dilemma that both Eric Arizona with a new coaching staff led by Jed Fish and ASU, uh, whether or not they can keep some of the top in-state talent home because... Arizona in the 2022 class uh, has a, a really good core of prospects. The 2023 class is looking really good as well. When you look back at 2021 in that cycle, Arizona State only signed one prospect in the top 30. That would be offensive lineman Isaiah Glass, who's already in campus as an early enrollee. Arizona signed only two prospects within, within the state's borders. That would be Stevie Rocker, a running back, and safety Amon Allen. I know that Jed Fish when he arrived in Tucson, made it a point to say that he was going to swarm the state of Arizona, that he was going to try to prioritize a lot of the in-state prospects. And I think that won over a lot of the boosters and they won over a lot of the alums. ASU hasn't really tried to do that. And, and I don't think they've ever really said that they were going to do that. Uh, they've prioritized the states of Texas. They've prioritized the state of California, obviously with all the California ties within that coaching staff. And, and I don't know if the fan base is upset about that, especially when they're winning battles and they're getting recruits like Jaden Daniels and Johnny Wilson from a couple cycles ago. But I do feel like if those two want some long-term success, especially in recruiting, Arizona is a fruitful state now. 
And there is a lot of talent there. And, and if you're able to get two or three premier prospects that are nearby, I think it's going to go a long way. I mean, you, you look at the conference championship game weekend last year. You had the Pac-12 championship game with USC and Oregon, both featuring Phoenix area quarterbacks. You had the Big 12 championship game between Iowa State and Oklahoma featuring Phoenix area quarterbacks. So it's becoming clear that there's been, and it's been clear like this for years. I mean, you go back a decade, Brett Hundley was a five-star out of the state of Arizona, and there's been a number of good quarterbacks to come from the state. And there's a reason that other states are recruiting Arizona as heavily at the quarterback position. But there's also a reason that Oregon set up shop in the state of Arizona. Besides Ty Thompson, they get Bram Walden, they get Jonah Miller. Clearly, they want players from the state of Arizona. They're staying in the Pac-12 footprint. They're hurting a Pac-12 rival, and they're increasing the talent on their roster. Go back a few years. You know, Washington was having similar success at Sawara High School in Scottsdale, whether it was Byron Murphy, whether it was Jacoby Covington. And then you're seeing how many national programs are recruiting in the state of, uh, of Arizona. I mean, last year when we were watching the bowl games, you saw Bajon Robinson go off in the Alamo Bowl. You saw Lathan Ransom making plays in the Sugar Bowl uh, to put Ohio State in the national championship game. And you're just seeing, you know, Chubba, or not Chubba Purdy, sorry, Brock Purdy winning the MVP of the Fiesta Bowl. So you see this strong presence of Arizona players really succeeding. The problem is for Arizona State and Arizona, they're not doing it there. They're doing it at out-of-state programs. And so that's been a, a knock on Arizona, the Arizona schools really for the better part of a decade. I think it's something that really kind of hurt Todd Graham in the eyes of Arizona State fans. And I think it was something that Rich Rodriguez just kind of figured, hey, I have all these ties elsewhere. Let's go there. Kevin Sullivan, it seemed like he mailed it in. I don't even think he tried to recruit Arizona at all. I mean, how many times were there legacies in Tucson or in the Phoenix area of guys that moms, dads, brothers, sisters were all playing at Arizona, and those guys all left to go to other Pac-12 schools? I'm thinking of a guy like Jason Harris or a guy like Bruno Fina. So now you look at what Arizona did when Jet Fish got the job. I mean, they they made a huge blitz of recruiting locally and throwing out offers locally. Arizona State's trying to ramp that up as well. And I think that it's a state that's absolutely worth recruiting. I mean, if you look at it from a number standpoint, after California, Arizona State probably has the most recruits that are signing with Power 5 and Group of 5 schools of the Western state. So you would think Arizona and Arizona State would try to build a fence around their state and keep schools out and keep that talent in. But that's been really, it seems like a gate that's been wide open and other schools have been feeling on it. So if Herm Edwards, who's now in his going into his fourth recruiting cycle or a fourth full recruiting cycle, and Jed Fish, who's going into his first full recruiting cycle, if they can ever stem the tide and keep that in-state talent home, I think you'd see both programs increase in you know where they stand in the Pac-12 standing. A very fertile ground right now, the state of Arizona. Over 45 prospects rated three stars or better early on in the 24-7 sports rankings, including Anthony Lucas, who looks like one of the best defensive linemen in the country, has offers from all over, including Alabama and Ohio State, which, by the way, already has a commitment in the state of Arizona from four-star receiver Keon Grays. The likes of Florida State, USC, Michigan State, and a few others already have commitments in the state of Arizona. So that's going to be something to monitor in the 2022 class. Brandon, the last and fifth storyline to track in the 2022 class for the Pac-12 is whether or not Stanford can rebound. You know, they finished in the bottom half of the Pac-12 team rankings in this previous class. It seems like the, the shine has worn off of the Cardinal, not only in the region, but also nationally. It seemed like just yesterday, David Shaw and that whole staff were rolling, right? And they were getting any prospect they wanted from across the country, obviously academics and all 
that being a factor in, in who they target. But I feel like the Stanford offer used to carry a little bit more weight than it does right now. And now it it, 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 it really is kind of depending on on on-field success. And that's going to be a storyline to monitor whether or not Stanford can rebound. You know, it wasn't just five years ago that Stanford ended up with three of the top 15 players in the country when they signed Walker Little, when they signed Foster Serrell, they signed Davis Mills. And in just five years, it seems like those guys are leaving in droves, whether guys are grad transferring, whether guys are transferring, period, whether Stanford's just not landing those guys. It's been a really weird last four or five years in recruiting at Stanford. Now, I understand it's obviously a different a different animal and a different dynamic than any other school. You have to combine really elite academics with high-level athleticism to even get a Stanford offer, let alone be able to commit there and get admitted into school. But Stanford's also one of those schools that really flourishes when recruits come to campus and they get to not just meet with David Shaw and the football staff, but it's getting to meet with professors that are Nobel Prize winners that are, you know, some of the greatest inventors and thinkers of our generation. I mean, how many times did we call recruits after the big visit weekend that they had in January and they're talking about their conversation with Condoleezza Rice? I mean, that's a flex that only Stanford can offer. Well, now you take in this dynamic where Santa Clara County is one of the most shut down counties in the United States of America during the COVID pandemic, where the campus is essentially shut down. Recruits can't come to campus per NCAA rules anyway, but now they can barely even drive on the campus. And then you see a class that is really small. I think there's also been some misevaluations. I think their quarterback recruiting going back to Davis Mills has been a real, real big question mark. You have the year where they signed Jack West and Tanner McKee, but because of Tanner McKee going on his LDS mission, they didn't take a recruit a quarterback in 2019. They didn't take one in 2020. And the one they signed in 2021, who I'm a big fan of, Ari Patu, has started one game as a high school quarterback. So it, it's one of those weird kind of approaches and weird evaluations that Stanford kind of got away from what was working so successfully. Maybe it was the departure of Mike Bloomgren to take the head coaching job at Rice a few years ago. Maybe that was a big blow. And, you know, they basically had Derek Mason left, what, seven, eight years ago. So that isn't really lingering anymore. They were still having success. But Stanford was always a staple of the top 10, top 15. They were getting whoever they wanted that had a great combination of academics and athletics. And that's waned a bit in the past. And then having so many players go into the portal certainly wasn't something that we were used to. But I think that if the NCA does open campuses up, if they do allow for recruits to visit, and then if Stanford admissions doesn't take you know too hard of a look at the fact that some of these kids had to go to a pass fail when schools shut down at the end of the pandemic, when these guys would have been sophomores, you know, then I or, or I guess even juniors, then I, I think we'll see you know, if Stanford can kind of reclaim their status near the top of the Pac-12 recruiting standings. Yeah. And I think if Stanford's able to do that, it creates a ripple effect uh, across the, the conference, right? Because some of the top academic players that maybe were going to Stanford before are not going to be ending up at some other schools. So those are our five storylines to track in the 2022 class for the Pac-12. Brandon Huffman, not only reporting football offers, but now reporting basketball offers. Thank you so much for joining us. Watch out, Brian Snow. <laughs> so that is Brandon Huffman. You can follow him on Twitter at Brandon Huffman. That will do it for us. Check back later this week for another episode of the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or... I can conquer it. 
I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.